Good afternoon, or maybe this time of year we can say good evening and welcome to Town Square. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. As we tell you every week, this conversation includes you. And if you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Polls, commentary, conjecture, there's always a lot of that around an election cycle. And this time, more than usual to match the extraordinary nature of the presidential campaign. While all the attention may be sucking the wind out of contests down ballot, whoever wins those races will likely have more of an impact on voters. It's why good government groups still hope the presidential race will energize the electorate to focus on municipal and state races. Since Tuesday, registered Hawaii voters have been able to cast walk-in ballots. If you haven't yet, you can walk in through November 5th. And if you want to vote by mail, you have only until November 1st to request a ballot. However, and whenever you vote, come election night, whoever wins will face issues constituents want addressed, fixed, or at least heard. In the Honolulu mayoral race, should Mayor Kirk Caldwell prevail, there will be several key issues, notably where the city goes from now to to fund rail all the way to Ala Moana. And then there's the bottom line issue of trust. In the recent Civil Beat poll, it was the second issue right after rail that captures voter attention. Tonight on Town Square, we're providing an open line to Kirk Caldwell. And just for the record, we offered the same opportunity to the other candidate for mayor, Charles DeJoux. He was not able to join us for any of the dates we had available. Again, to join us tonight, our number is 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Mayor Caldwell, thank you for being here. Good afternoon, Beth Ann. It's always nice to be on your show. I've enjoyed coming on since I've been mayor and even before that when I was in the State House of Representatives. Long time ago. Long time ago. Let's talk a lot about what people carry in their minds. And certainly we got to start with the big issue, which is rail. There has been a lot of churning in the heart board this year. Don Horner resigned. Colleen Hanabusa replaced him as chair. She'll soon be leaving, most likely. And then there was the dismissal of Dan Grabowskis, the appointment of Mark Formby. And now today, the announcement of K.N. Murthy as the authority's interim executive director and CEO. His term is one year. It's not very long. What does he have to do to shore up confidence in the rail project? He's got a lot of pressure on him. So, Bethann, you know, rail, rail, all the time rail. In every debate I've been in, it probably dominates about 50% of the questions, and I think it, it should because it is the most controversial issue we deal with on this island. It's also the largest infrastructure, the largest construction project in the history of this place forever, and it's relevant that we talk about it. Actually, look at Mr. Murthy as all good news. This is a man who actually has built rail systems, and as mayor, I wanted to see someone come in who had that experience, wasn't learning with the rest of us here in Hawaii who have never built a rail system, but actually knew what was going to happen next and knew what was going to come up around the corner. He is that man. Now, he signed, my understanding, a one-year contract. It doesn't mean that it couldn't be renewed for another year. But as you know, Beth Ann, he is the interim director. We do want to have a full-time director. We need to do a thorough search. And as you know, for a project like this, it could take some period of time. And we didn't want that position left open because, as you know, Mike Formby, a member of my cabinet who, as Department of Transportation Services, 
had moved over to Hart. He was on the board as that interim director. He's going to be leaving sometime in early November. And we he wanted, said he was going to. There was never any yeah, doubt that he no was going to stay No surprise. He yeah. said he was going to leave. So we needed to find a person to replace Mike. But I asked the Hart board, and, I, and the Hart board was thinking along the same lines, that we want to find someone now who has actually built the rail project so we're not surprised that we know what's going to happen next. And I think in Mr. Murphy, you're going to find that. I hope you bring him on, on, on the show. He, his demeanor, his background, his experience is excellent. And we've heard from the FTA that they are happy that we chose him because of the relationship they have with him through other rail projects. So what would he have to do to be able to begin to shore up some of that confidence and at least give some breathing room while you're looking for someone to take it over? I think one thing is getting a better handle on the issues we face regarding construction. And one of those big issues is the relocation of utilities on Dillingham Boulevard. As you know, that's the last 4.3 miles that's going to be built. And it's where we have a lot of the controversy. And he's, I think, going to take control of how we deal with those utility relocations. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars probably in, in, in potential increased costs. And it's something I met with him this morning briefly. We talked about it. He has experience dealing with this issue. I think that's going to breed confidence. I think just getting a better handle on the entire Hart team and getting them reconfigured, getting them in the mode of Let's talk about the remaining challenges. We're talking, Bethann, really of the last 4.3 miles and eight stations. And a lot of money. (laughs) And a lot of money. And a lot of money. But he needs to deal with those issues. It's the most complicated part of the project. Um, And that's why I think he's coming in on exactly the right time. I'm I'm really excited. I feel very positive about it. Um, We're working also, as you know, Colleen is going to be leaving shortly. Um, It's bittersweet for me because she's done an excellent, excellent job excellent job. But she will be in Washington, I believe, and she will be a true friend of rail in the city and county of Honolulu and advocating for us on the federal level. So we need to find someone, and I'm very close to announcing a new replacement for her that is actually someone who's in the construction business. So we have an interim director who built rail. We have someone from the city and county of Honolulu who actually knows about constructing complex projects and I think that'll be a good team, good balancing, and getting us into a better direction going forward. Are you sure you don't want to tell anybody now? <laughs> no, I don't want to tell now until we get all the – everything is okay. I would oh. love to tell you, but – All right. We'll let you off with that one. Thank you. If you're just joining us tonight on Town Square, we're talking to Mayor Kirk Caldwell. What is it that you want from your mayor, Honolulu? We've got a lot of issues that we talk about every week on Town Square. Many times we've talked to them. Uh, talk to the mayor about them, too. But this is a a unique opportunity, a real line in to be able to talk to our mayor about what may happen next. Of course, nobody knows what may happen when we come to the end of election night. But if, in fact, Mayor Caldwell prevails, then there's going to be a lot of issues that he's going to have to face that you want fixed or heard or in somehow address 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 is our number. Hawaii's scope of authority, or the Hart's scope of authority, was a big issue in a lot of conversations, several conversations that we had with Colleen Hanabusa. And a lot of that moved back into the question four, the charter question four, and looking at what that scope should be. Should there be more authority that 
the board would have, especially since we've been through yes. this journey that we talked about yes. a little earlier. Do you see that the answer to that big question of, of where Hart goes from now, especially the Hart Board Authority, really hangs on question four? Well, one, I'm a strong supporter of, of question number four in the charter uh, amendments, and I encourage your listeners to read it clear, carefully and closely, and I hope they'll support the amendment. I'm going to be supporting it. There's two parts of it, really, and I do think it is critical. One has to deal with giving the board more authority. If you look at the authority they have today, it is pretty shallow. Um, and I think it should be more like any other board where they have more power over setting policy and making sure it's implemented. That is done through this charter amendment. But the other thing that I like about it, it actually, for once the rail project is completed for operations, it's brought into the city system. Department of Transportation Services, as you know, manages the bus and the handy van. And if we have other other modes of transportation in the future, we're looking at bike share, that it would fall under one entity where fares would be set uniformly. The way it's written right now, fares for rail would be set by the heart board, who's not elected. They could set a very high fare or very low fare. It could be inconsistent with the bus fare. And I think to get the ridership and to really build a true multimodal system, we need a coordinated fare system between bus and rail, a seamless system. We are working on that in terms of a tap card, you know, where you tap on the bus or rail. This can only happen if we have an integrated bus-rail system. And that Charter Amendment number 4 talks about that, too. So there's two things. One is giving more power to the heart board to get the results we all want to see because they're the ones who are actually building the project. And two, once it starts to operate, that we have it all under one system and fares are set through the city and county process, just like the bus, where the, the mayor and the council and the public gets to weigh in. I think that's fair. Should question four not pass? And this consolidation and integration that you talk about and additional authority or, or spelled out authority for Hart not happen, where do we go from there? I think we'll have to try again. I mean, we'll, we'll move along. It won't be as coordinated as I would hope it would be. We are right now working on this integrated fare system anyway. But um, I think I wouldn't give up. I think we'd come back and try to do it again. At the end of the Ten day, you look— now? No, you can amend the charter in between, but you have that full rewrite is like every 10 years. So you could do it two years from now in the next election, but I think we need to start it now. You know, most of the successful transportation systems in major big cities, and we're almost a million people on this island now, are integrated. Um, And I think to have the true success with our system, it needs to be an integrated system. All right, we're going to take some callers, and if you'd like to join us, Mayor Kirk Caldwell is with me tonight for Town Square, 941-3689. If you're on Oahu, use that number. And if you happen to be someplace else on a neighbor island or listening to the live stream elsewhere, you can get to us at 877-941-3689. Going to Tom, calling us from, is it Kahului? Hi. Are you there? Yeah, my, my question was um, kind of living on Maui. We, we get a lot of the news of what's going on with the rail and, and all the, you know, the delays and the cost and all that stuff. What I really um, kind of don't understand and I don't hear about too much anymore is how um, it's actually going to work and what are the biggest benefits, uh, what's going to change in the city for you guys. Okay, thank you, Tom, for that question. Um, For me, and I guess I'd approach it from a bigger point of view, 
you know, this, as I mentioned, this island has about a million people, 600 square miles, nowhere near the, uh, the size of Maui. And we're squeezed between the mountain, the sea, and the vast part of our population is on the southern shore. And um, no more roads or freeways are planned, not one. And if tomorrow we decided to do so, it'd take about 25 years before we see that result. Rail is the only planned transportation system to move people efficiently, quickly from where most of the growth is occurring. You know, on our island, Tom, the general uh, plan back in the 70s said 70% of all the growth on Oahu will take take place on the Eva Plain. And that's occurring right now with major projects being built. Ho'opili, you already got Kapole. People live out there, but they work in town to some degree. There's one freeway that everyone gets on every morning. And as a result, the sitting county of Honolulu stands with L.A. as the worst traffic in the nation. We vie for first or second place every other year. We trade places. And so this is an alternative for people who are stuck in traffic in which it's going to only get worse to move quickly. So on our 20-mile system, it'll take 42 minutes, no matter what's happening at grade on the ground, to get from one part from the west side to Ala Moana Shopping Center and closer to Waikiki, the major employment center for this island. Years and years and years ago, when we were talking about rail, and everyone said, well, years and years and years ago, we were talking about rail. And you can bring that conversation back yes. for you know, three, four decades. One of the things that emerged was that you know we should have planned for this and planned around it better. There are other islands, including Maui, and if we project out and out and out mm-hmm. for the next you know, 50 years or so, are other mayors considering trying to put in some rail now or being able to look at that as you talk to yeah. your fellows and, and you meet and say, you know, don't, don't be like us. Try to plan something a little earlier. You know, Bethann, that's a great point. And, you know, Tom, thinking about Maui, I go there to visit and I can get stuck in traffic for an hour at the Kihei Interchange, for example. It's just really bad during rush hour. So every neighbor island has bad traffic. How you approach the solutions um, partly depends on the size of your population, uh, Bethann. But the other mayors, you know, when we voted to uh, have this half a percent surcharge, every other county got the same authority to vote. Now, the others did not vote for it. But I know this, in talking to the other mayors, they were looking at expanded bus system, which is a form of mass transit, getting people out of their cars to travel by bus. Kauai was talking about a protected bike lane. As you know, Kauai is pretty progressive. They have a protected lane that goes down towards Kapa'a. It's beautiful. A lot of people ride. And so they were talking about how do we expand that as another way to travel on an island, the smallest island in terms of the more populated islands. Um, Some have talked about perhaps bringing back part of a sugar train But just in theory, no one has actually talked about cost or route. But I think every island should be looking at multimodal transportation systems, and all the mayors do talk about it. I'm looking out after 50 years and and beyond because given how long we've talked about rail, we've already eaten up most of that. Think about this, Bethann. Mayor Blaisdell talked about rail. Frank Fossey talked about rail. Mayor Harris talked. They all attempted to build rail. Mufi Hanneman got rail started and now Peter Carlin and I have been dealing with it. It takes decades and decades and decades to get this done. And even now, there's questions about should it go all the way? How are we going to raise the additional money? Some people say stop. It's a difficult, difficult thing to keep going. Okay. Well, it's pretty easy for us to take a call or two. Yeah. And if you'd like to join us, 941 
888-941-3689 from Oahu, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Kevin, calling us from Pacific Heights. Aloha, Kevin. Thank you for your patience. Good afternoon, Mayor Caldwell. Good um, afternoon, Kevin. I, I apologize. My daughter's about to jump in the car with me, and no I'm, problem. I'm hands-free. No um, problem. Anyway, um, I appreciate what you're doing in the parks and trying to uh, repair uh, bathrooms and such. Uh, really appreciate that. Obviously very, very important. Um, in conjunction with that, some of the basic things in terms of just general maintenance, keeping the weeds out so we can walk barefoot through the park, um, watering, uh, you know, the simple things that are, you know, the infrastructure's in place, if you will, uh, but I don't feel like it's being as well implemented as it was maybe a decade ago, and I don't really understand why that is, but um, it, I feel like just the, the very simple things in terms of park maintenance have gone downhill, and I know there's lots of moving parts in, in any administration but um, parks and recreation, uh, which is so critical uh, for locals and tourists alike, uh, seems to be um, slipping. I'll just say that. And I was wondering if, if, yeah, if, if you're aware of that. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, uh, but if you have a chance or your park director or somebody can, can speak to that, uh, I sure would appreciate that. And then real quickly, only because you just brought it up, the the master plan, which when uh, Huapili was about to be approved, I heard a city council member say, well, we, we can't reassess that because we have a master plan and it was approved 30 years ago and we can't change that. And I thought, holy smokes, now's the time more than ever. Nobody would have dreamed that we'd have the population crush uh, in the building uh, 30 years ago that we have. So isn't isn't the present, the time to reconsider the master plan. I'll okay. be quiet okay. and I'll listen to your okay. answer, and I appreciate the work you're doing. Yeah. Thank and, you. And thank you for your call, Kevin, and I hope you and your daughter have a safe ride home. Yeah. Okay, um, so, so lots of things. Yeah. You want to take parks? Yeah, I want to, I want, and Kevin, one, thanks for the both questions. I'm going to answer both of them, and I also want to say it's cool to hear a dad saying, we go to the parks with our with our daughter, and you have your daughter getting in the car. You're obviously taking her somewhere. Way to go, Dad. Um, I was... Uh, we have one daughter also, and for a while I was up in Washington, D.C. with my wife while she's chair of the FDIC, and I spent a lot of time with our daughter. It was some of the best times of my life, so congratulations. You know, on our, our parks, if you would follow me around every day giving speeches about infrastructure, one of our infrastructure projects, num- one of the five, is parks, and we call it CACO for the parks. CACO is together for the parks. Because you're right, Kevin, for a long, long, long time, We've neglected our parks. They're our crown jewels. We should treat them like our own yards at our own homes, but we don't. And people trash our parks, destroy things, smash toilets, light restrooms on fire, break sprinkler heads, and those kind of things. And so I asked myself, why is that when in other communities around the world they treat their parks well? And I thought maybe it's because, one, the city doesn't do a good, good enough job. So CACO, Together for Our Parks, is about, one, the city showing more love for our parks, because if we do, perhaps the population of this island in turn will show more respect and love for our parks. So we have restored almost 40 restrooms, like you've mentioned. We've repaved uh, play courts of all types, tennis courts, basketball courts, jogging and walking paths, and we are working hard to rebuild our playgrounds. We've done almost 30 playgrounds, either 
gotten rid of all the old playground equipment that's breaking and rusting and putting in new one. And the goal is to continue to do this so that our parks actually look and feel different. And perhaps as a result, the users would treat them with greater respect. Al Moana Beach Park, we've moved the sand, as you may have seen. We picked up the rocks. Next week, we're starting an irrigation project of the almost all the acreage in the park. We're going to do it in phases. We're doing that in other parks around the island, too. We have 300 parks on this island. We are recognized in the rankings as one of the cities with the most parks, but we don't take good care of them, and we're trying to do that. On your question on the master plan, because we set in motion this growth pattern, and Kevin, if you remember back in the 60s and 70s, they were debating where should most of the population grow, go to. They talked about Kaneohe. They talked about Kailua. They talked about other parts of this island. And, of course, those communities pushed back. And on top of that, they were trying to find areas where it would be most suitable for additional growth. And they thought the Eva Plain was the best because it's a little more level and flat. You're not squeezed between the mountain and the sea, and you have room for expansion. And it was decided to move the population in that direction and create the second city of Kapolei. A lot of planning, money, and time has been placed into that. If we decide now to relocate that population center, the question I'd ask is where? And wherever we pick, there's going to be gigantic, huge pushback. So for me, I want to make the city more city to keep the country more country. And that means everything inside the urban growth boundary, which Ho'opili is inside that urban growth boundary, should be developed and expanded because... When I was born in Waipau, 450,000 people lived on this island. We now have 8,000 short of a million. We can't keep people from moving here. It's the most beautiful place you can find with the most diverse population you can find. So it's how we grow. And for me, it's inside the urban growth boundary in the areas that we've designated. And we need to do it well through good infrastructure. Which ties us back to rail. Yes. Rail is part of it. And rail goes right through those areas that we're talking about. And so we're building a system, not just for today, but for 100 years from now. I I went to college in Boston. The T was built in 1889. I took it when I went to college back in the 70s. So this is an investment, $8 billion probably investment, that would be hard now to say, let's move the population center somewhere else because that infrastructure doesn't pay back how it would otherwise pay back. You bring up old infrastructure, We have some old infrastructure, too. We have some bridges that are in sore need of a little love, and it doesn't look like they're going to get it, that we can afford to do that. What happens to them? So, Bethann, actually, we are in the process. Well, one, as you know, infrastructure around our country is in dire need of attention. I mean, we're not that different from other places. No different bridges in particular around our country, and you've seen the collapse of some major bridges over rivers where people actually died um, because they weren't taken care of properly. So in the city and county of Honolulu, over the past five years, they've been doing a review of all the city and county bridges, checking them out, and we're slowly rebuilding them. So if you drive on Nehoa over the stream that comes down by Makiki, that bridge has been retrofitted. It it looks really nice, and it took about a year. And these are little bridges for the most part, but they're really expensive, Bethann, because you don't tear down the bridge. You just shore it up, retrofit it so it can withstand earthquakes and it can withstand a lot of water running underneath them and around them and it's going to take time but we've begun the process there's probably if you add it all up 
over a billion dollars worth of bridge repair that we need to do that we're slowly tackling, you know, bridge by bridge over the coming decades. While we're talking money, while we're talking infrastructure, I've got to get you back to, to rail to talk a little bit about uh, you know, picking up where we last left the conversation that you and I had where you said, well, maybe we can go back to the U.S. Department of Transportation and see if they will give us more. Clearly, we found out that's not going to happen. You also talked about potential public-private partnerships that might be instrumental. So now that we know that the DOT well is dry and you know that the public, at least judging by the last poll that we saw from Civil Beat saying that all the way to Ala Moana, what has to happen to make that happen with hopefully uh, some people would say not having to have additional taxes as part of the mix? Or do we just have to suck it up and know that it's going to be part of the mix? This, Beth, I think it's a, it's it's a puzzle that we're putting together right now, and I wouldn't assume and take it off the table that we can't get more money from the federal government. In fact, I believe as mayor, and I want to come back as mayor, that I'm going to go and ask again. I've asked the federal government twice in the past six months, and they've said no. But this is what else they've said: this administration is coming to an end. We're not going to commit the next administration to federal f- further federal funding of the project. But you can ask that next administration. And Beth Ann, I'm hopeful that that next president is going to be Hillary Clinton. She tends to be more pro-infrastructure than the other than her opponent. And I like that in a president. And really, the U.S. Department of Transportation, she will appoint the Secretary of Transportation and the director of the Federal Transit Administration, which actually funds rail. So I think we have a friend, and it's someone that I don't know well, but my wife worked for Bill Clinton in his administration as the chair of the FDIC. So I'm somewhat hopeful. Secondly, I do believe the Senate is going to be going back to being Democrat. And Senator Brian Schott sits on the Appropriations Committee, but now he will be in the majority party on the Appropriations Committee that can help obtain additional funding. And we got Colleen Hanabusa, who's going to the House of Representatives, a friend who can also fight to get additional money. So I would not write off the federal government in terms of helping us find additional funding. The other part, though, is I've been spending the past five or six months meeting with, well, since we've had this funding challenge, since June, um, with developers and landowners along the rail system and ask them, given our funding challenges, would you be willing to help pay to build a rail station? Anybody in exchange, up? And, and they have the good news is they've not slammed the door and said no. What they ask is, okay, what do we get in return? Could you rebuild our sewer system? Well, in many cases, I told them because of TOD, we're going to be rebuilding the sewer systems around our stations because we want more affordable housing built. Part of our initiative is to build more true affordable rental housing. And so they're interested, and I think we're going to see money coming from them. The other source is the GET, half a percent surcharge that goes to 2027. I think there has to be a serious discussion with the state legislature and the executive branch on perhaps extending that further and maybe sharing the funds with the state for some of their transportation projects. I think it's way too early to ask that of the state, but I have begun the discussion with leadership in the House and the Senate and with the governor. And they said, we're open to that discussion as long as Hart answers the hard questions about how much more money and how are you going to control cost. And what are you going to do to be able to maintain the system if you should be so lucky as to get it built? Well, on that one, um, we are looking. The good news is 
the, operate the bus is about 80 cents per passenger mile. For rail, Bethann, it's 40 cents per passenger mile. And the reason is, is we have, we're going to have the first driverless system in the United States of America. Because of that, the total employees for the rail system will be 300 versus 1,800 for bus. Because you have bus drivers, you have the guys who have to maintain about 525 buses. So it's much more efficient to operate rail than bus. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be additional costs because we're building an integrated system. But we're also looking at increased revenue sources from real property taxes. We're not raising real property taxes, but values continue to increase. And with that growth rate, we believe we'll have sufficient funds, along with other sources that we collect, to actually help operate our rail system just like it pays for our bus system today. We'll be charging to ride rail. And we, us- we know from other systems that usually you get a better fair return, revenue turn for rail, than you do with bus. All right, we're going to leave that one for the moment so we can take some of the callers who've been waiting very patiently to talk to you. Those would include Eugene calling us from Haula. Aloha, Eugene. Thanks for your patience. Hi. Uh, hello, Mir. Hi, um, Eugene. Um, my question for you is that, you know, I lived in New York and Boston and D.C. and, and you know, London and Paris and stuff like that. And, you know, rail... It takes a, it's a hundred year proposition. It's not a short term thing. And 20 miles, that's just the beginning of a, of a system. I mean, you know, we really need it out. We need as far out as Wainai and up to Mililani and every place else. I, I mean, I don't see this tax going away anytime soon. I think we need it in perpetuity as long as we have the system uh, to cover the cost of it because the fees will never be able to, to pay for this it's an infrastructure thing that has has to be maintained in a long life and we need a hundred year plan or or something uh, longer than just 20 miles yeah. of where we're going to go in the future with this yeah. i mean with melani and every place else yeah eugene That's- eugene you bring you bring up sort of the point of, of of why i asked the mayor you know are any of the other islands looking at this too because one of our examples is that maybe if this planning had been done and executed in a certain way that maybe we wouldn't be having some of the issues that we have now. People always say that hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. but in this case, there are places that can clearly have some foresight. Yeah, I would like to, Eugene, that's a great question, and I agree with you. You know, I went to school, as I mentioned, in Boston. I took the T, built in 1889. When it was built, it went eight-tenths of a mile. It's now 800 miles of rail. It's like building a spider web. It's, it's not like you build one line and it's pow. No, you just have to start somewhere. Right. You have to start somewhere. And actually what we're building is a minimal operating segment. That's 20 miles, 21 stations. But the voters of this island voted for the locally preferred alternative, which is actually 26 miles. It goes from downtown Kapolei, where that new shopping center just opened, all the way to UH Manoa. And as mayor, I'm fighting to get the full 26 miles built. When I went before the legislature two years ago, I asked for additional money to at least build that with the idea that we could start the planning to take it to other places. Because you are right. We're building a system not for today, but for 100 years from now. Smaller footprint. It's not like building four-lane freeways in each direction. It's about 25 feet wide, 30 feet in the air. And, for example, going to the west side, you got one highway, Farrington. There's an accident. A telephone pole flies down, every, falls down. Everyone on the west side is stuck. you got a dedicated rail line there already on the Mackay side of the road. And perhaps 
rail would go out to that area, not elevated, but at grade, because there's not a lot of streets it has to cross on the Makai side, just parks. So Eugene, you're absolutely right. We should be planning. And here's the other thing. Those systems, New York, D.C., Paris, London, they have dedicated funding sources in perpetuity. In Boston, it's a luxury tax. You buy alcohol or cigarettes, part of that goes to paying for our rail, the rail system in Boston. It's called a legacy type of tax. All right, Eugene, thanks very much for the question. There are a lot of people who want to talk to you, Mayor. We're going to move along. Going now to Cecily calling us from Eva Beach. Aloha, Cecily. Welcome to Town Hi. Square. Thank you. I appreciate you taking my call. I am going to go in my car because I think it'll be too loud if a plane flies over. So I'm calling because um, I live in Eva Beach, and I'm so grateful to you, Mayor, for all you do. Thank you, I'm Cecily. I'm calling to let you know that I see a problem, and I'm hoping that this isn't ridiculous. You can help me find an answer. I, I walk my dog every night, and I see that along the sides of the road, that not where people own, but where the city owns, um, there's geysers and there's um, sprinklers that just ooze out over the walk over the streets. And I appreciate, like, you have the pothole hotline and right. that we can call and get the pothole fixed. But I'm thinking there's a correlation there and that perhaps if you had someone monitoring all the geysers that are not supposed to be shooting water in the streets, then you would avoid a lot of um, money paying for potholes. I appreciate that. Cecily, could you tell me what street in particular when you walk? Is it by Eva Villages or? Uh, I live out um, by Keone Ula, and I see geyser right in front of the Right in front of the fire station, um, okay. it's literally like 15 feet high. Okay. And then there's some that just kind of ooze out because they're not really spraying. They're just bubbling up over where they should be. I saw one over on Roosevelt, you know, okay. right, right where you're passing by the new um, mall. Okay. It was just literally bubbling up over Roosevelt Road. I mean, they're kind of all okay. over. I saw that one, by the way, and I did call the city. That's actually part of the Kamakana Lii project is they landscaped that area and there there is that fence i at least i think where you're talking i was on roosevelt right by it i did call on that one but we'll follow up on the others this is an ongoing and forever problem where we irrigate and either cars drive over the edge and break a sprinkler head or sometimes homeless people not so much where you are but in our parks they'll break them where they're camping illegally because they don't want to get wet or sometimes kids think it's fun to kick them or whatever so we're always having to fix them you're right about a hotline. We don't have a hotline for that. Um, I'd like to say call my office for it, but I'm afraid if I say that, our guys will kill me in our offices. But if can we get her number offline and maybe call, and then I'll try to follow up a little, in a little more detail. But thanks for your concern. We don't want to waste water. We don't want to create potholes. And we want it to irrigate and water the grass and other things, shrubs and trees that was put in there to help grow. And, I mean, I'm just... Maybe a week or so ago, I saw in a school field, they were watering at noon on yeah. a Saturday. And we're always told about being careful yeah. with water and the rest of it. And doesn't set a, yeah, a great that's example. that's crazy. Thanks, uh, well, Cecily, for your concern and caring. Really appreciate we're it. We're going to get to a couple of callers in a moment. But I, I just want to ask you about a couple of other things that we need to talk about. For a long time, we've had a conversation about homelessness. And you've been very much in favor of housing first. We've seen changes and shifts in the population of homeless people who are in Honolulu area, greater Honolulu area. And yet there's also this idea that in not too many years from now, we may very well face a downturn. I mean, life is cyclical. And if you listen to the folks at Hero, that's been a conversation we've had with them for a very long time, too, which means that 
other people who are living just at the margins uh, and maybe not even at the margins but are almost ready to slip over may very well slip over into homelessness. So I'm wondering what safeguards you're putting in to play now so that we do have that ounce of prevention and we don't have to deal with pounds of cure while you're trying to deal with those people who are still homeless and needing to be helped to find a permanent home when there would be people who might simply be replacing them if, in fact, we do hit a downturn. It's a good question, Beth Ann. I mean, part of when you ask me what am I doing as mayor, it's I'm working as hard as I can to keep our economy healthy. And I think when we came into office four years ago, we looked at a pretty high unemployment rate. Uh, We looked at tourism that was anemic and construction that was non-existent. And through the efforts of this administration, but, you know, through the efforts of everyone, we've turned things around. And we have one of the lowest unemployment rates of any city anywhere in the country. And that keeps people employed. Now, for me, rail is about employment also because we're continuing to build this project into the, like 2024 probably. And if we do extensions, that keeps people employed. And of course, the multiplier effect of putting money through the system helps. It doesn't mean that there won't be downturns, but they will not be as steep. The other thing we're doing is we are inquiring more and more properties. You know, as you know, the, the city council gave us $60 million dollars. We just yesterday announced the purchase of a building on Baratania Street across from Central Union, a turnkey operation, 24 units to house homeless folks, housing first type units in which they'll pay some rent if they can afford it. And of course, we'll use HUD-VASH vouchers and Section 8 housing for the rest. We also, as you know, have the paintball site out by Kehe Lagoon that the week before we announced, that's going to house up to 800 folks. The beauty of that one is a public-private partnership where Dwayne Kurisu is going to work with the private sector to actually build the units. The state gave the city the land, 13 acres, and we signed a dollar-a-year lease over to Duane. The city is going to put in $4 million worth of sewer and water infrastructure so that this can occur, and that will house more people. And, of course, last week we also announced the completion of a mod- three modular units out on the west side. We're continuing to do this. We'll be announcing more projects. Sand Island has now housed 105 people through the Navigation Center, and we have at any given time 83 people out there, and we're adding six more containers so it can house up to 100 more people. We're on this journey of providing more units to more homeless folks. But the other thing, Beth Ann, I thought you were going to ask me is, I think when you and I were kids here, we didn't have this problem. We had homeless, but they weren't as visible there weren't as many, and I am hopeful, actually, that as time passes, our community, our society, both our federal government, state government, city government, and the private sector will get a better handle on how we address this evolving problem. Because every city around the country, from small towns to major cities, have this growing homeless problem. They're, they're, and, and they're attempting to deal with and it. They're attempting but to deal with it. But there also seems to be a very anti-homeless sentiment which on one hand, for a lot of people like you grew up here and talk about it in such a way that you're almost befuddled by the fact that the community hasn't come forward in certain ways. And yet we know the community is changing. Right. And it's continuing to change. And it's going to feel the impact of that as more people move here from elsewhere and don't have those memories that you have, that don't have that same feeling that people who were born and raised here feel about their communities where it's part of their blood. It's a very different experience. Yep. How do you start to move through that when you're talking about a place that's so expensive to live where people love their home and don't want to leave it yeah. 
And yet, even if they are employed, there are a lot of people who are homeless and who are also employed. And working, working homeless. Here's one thing. You know, a lot of people say, Mary, what are you going to do about homelessness? And I ask, what are you going to do about homelessness? And they kind of go, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, every homeless person was a child of some family at one point. What happened? Why did that child grow up and become homeless? Weak family structure in the old days we didn't throw away our children as quickly as we do today. The The nuclear family is a lot less nuclear, and we push people out and say government should take care of it. And really, there has to be responsibility family by family. The other thing, though, is our education system. Why don't we deal with learning defects better? You know, think of someone with dyslexia. Those people actually, in a lot of cases, are smarter, more creative than the average student, but they're not dealt with, and so they fall out of the schooling system, they end up homeless. It's tragic. We need to take those kids and actually mentor them, love them, and have them soar. Think about Charles Schwab was homeless. I mean, Charles Schwab was dyslexic. Picasso was dyslexic. You know, they thrive somehow, but we need to help them there. And then there are people who have addiction issues. As I read more, because I'm involved with this homeless issue, Some people say you're actually born with an addictive gene. You're more inclined to become addicted to drugs or alcohol because of genetic factors. Yet we don't have a health system to deal with that well enough. And that, I'd say a third to half of the people you see on the street have either addiction issues or mental health issues that were never, ever addressed by our health system, by our family structure. And now they're on our streets and sidewalks and they say, government, what are you going to do about it? We can do some of it. But to keep more people from falling into homelessness, those issues need to be addressed by so all of us. So what do you want us. people to do? When you say to people, what are you going to do? Because I ask that question to people, too. You know, you're just looking and saying, go, go fix it some way. What would you want an average person to do to be able to feel that he or she is helping Well, one, people? I would ask people in our communities when we actually purchase buildings and move people there that are homeless, that they will welcome them into their community and help them recover. That's a little bit of a sacrifice, but if the city and the state do their job well, I think you won't see the problems they're concerned about, too. I think parents need to demand of their educational system addressing of issues like dyslexia. We don't do a very good job. I'm talking about our public school system in particular needs to do a better job, but even private schools need to do a better job working with those kids. And I think our health system needs to be better at addressing these. Now, I think part of his funding, and I, I'm talking a little bit out of school because the city doesn't deal with those issues. So I'll end with this. What does a city do and what do they need to do better is one I think we need to provide more of the type of housing we're talking about. And we need to work closer with the public, with the private sector to build more affordable rental units to help these working homeless actually not have to live in their car, but have a unit to live in that's truly affordable. And, and have enough incentives to make them want to do that. I mean, we've make, talked to Stanford Carr. We've talked to others right. who say that's the whole point. There's got to be something in it for them. And if you don't right. do it, it's not going to be out of generosity of spirit or heart or altruism. So here's where the city tells you build true affordable rentals at the lowest level possible. We won't charge you a sewer hookup fee. We won't make you do a park dedication fee. We won't charge you for their permits and the grading and all of that. We'll look at maybe giving you greater height increases, more density on your thing. We won't mandate that you build parking. Build more units because homeless folks, in some cases, don't own a car. And by the way, cars are expensive. Don't. These are things the city can do that I'm working on getting done so we can incentivize the private sector to build more true housing for those who would otherwise fall into homelessness. 
We've got lots of callers on the line. I promise we're going to go back to the callers. We want to make sure we can get through some of these issues that people constantly ask us about and ask us to ask you about. Going now to Jerry calling us from downtown. Aloha, Jerry. Thank you very much for your patience. Aloha, Bethan, and thank you very much for uh, getting my call. And good afternoon, Mayor Carwell. Thank you for all you do for the city. Thank you, Jerry. Um, Good afternoon. (laughs) I just have two really simple questions um, regarding to one, the rail, and the other uh, also to the rail. So first question is has to do with the rail is not going to go to Ala Moana. It's not going to Waikiki now. How is how are we going to collect, uh, connect that particular gap? Is the Waikiki Circulator project still going on? How is that? So that is my first question. And the second question has to do with the maintenance of the rail system after it builds up with the looking at the certain sections of the rail that's already been built and it's degrading and certain, how should I say, parts of the rail that's installed currently in there is already fraying and already break, breaking and need to be replaced. How are those issues going to be addressed, Mayor? Okay. All right. Th- thank you. And we will say that we did talk a little bit about this a little earlier in the show, Jerry, so you might want to go back and listen to this show once it gets yeah. put into the archive, but we'll do a yeah, quick Yeah, just synopsis. real quick. So, Jerry, on your first question regarding rail um, and Waikiki, it actually is built, being built all the way to Ala Moana. As mayor, I'm fighting to find the additional funding resources to build it there. Now, it goes to Ala Moana because the largest employment base on this island is Waikiki, and you're right. You're you're actually paying attention to the news because we are working on a Waikiki circulator bus system. So once rail ends at Ala Moana, and by the way, it's going to be our most heavily used station. We're looking at about 20,000 rides at that station every day. They're getting on and off to get to Waikiki for the most part. We will have smaller buses that will take people directly to their employment centers, Hilton Hawaiian Village, International Marketplace, the other end of Waikiki, the Sheraton, so people who are working there can hop on a bus, not stop at many places, but get right to their destination of employment and then get on again to go right back to Alamoana to get back home throughout the city, including on the west side where all that growth is occurring. On the maintenance issue, you raised two good things that are you know upsetting and frustrating to me because on the first 10 miles, you're talking about these splints, I mean plints that are cracking. These are things, plastic like wedges that went go between the bottom of the rail, bottom of the concrete and the rail system that Kiwit developed. And they found out that some of the the makeup was improper on some of them. And so they need to replace those. They've committed to do that. They're not we're not paying. This is Kiwit has to absorb those those costs to get them built, to get them replaced and put in. And they're doing that. The other thing you're talking about are some of the cables going through the through the the spans have frayed and broken. Not all, just a few. And again, they're looking at the chemical makeup of the some of the cables, and they're work and they have replaced them. And Kiwit, who built the first ten miles, is working to do that too. The good news is we're discovering this, and in, I'm learning um, because I've. You know, this is a major infrastructure project that this is not an uncommon thing to have issues arise when you're building a massive infrastructure project, catching them and having them fixed before the contractor is released from their obligations. It's just unnerving when people see this and it turns up in the news and they realize how much of their 
their pocket is going yep. to pay for it. We're going to move on. Thanks very much, Jerry, for the call. Going now to Kevin, also calling from downtown. Kevin, thank you for your patience. Yes, thank you. Uh, quick question for the mayor uh, about Charter Amendment Number 1, which deals with uh, the police commission and strengthening its powers and also changing the terms and conditions for the police chief. I was wondering when someone was going to call and ask that because that was next on my list, so now I don't have to talk about that. Thanks, yep. Kevin. You're welcome. Thank you. Kevin, thanks a lot. Um, this is another charter amendment. I, I talked about number four. I support that, the Hart Charter Amendment. I strongly support number one that gives the the commission greater authority to deal with issues both for the chief and in other areas too. I think it gives them the authority they need. And by the way, I do support the commission. I think it's better to have a citizen's body uh, hire and fire the chief than to have the mayor do it. You get you keep politics out of it. At times it's frustrating for me because I'd like to weigh in and uh, take action just like I could with any cabinet member. But I think the idea behind creating the commission decades ago is an appropriate one. But let's give the commissioners more authority to do exactly that. That's what this charter amendment does, and I support it. Thanks very much for the call. If you'd like to join us, our number is 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Tonight, talking here with Mayor Kirk Caldwell. Going to Brett, calling us from Kaimuki. Aloha, Brett. Welcome to Town Square. Aloha, Aloha, and thank you for taking my call. I know you're running out of time, so I'll speak quickly. Uh, I've been here 30 years. About 20 years ago, I had the luck to live at Marin Tower in one of the gap housing um, levels. Brett, you're you're cutting out, and we're and we're not able to hear you. So you might want to give us a quick call a quick call back. We're just barely able to hear you, Mayor. While we're waiting for Brett to call him back, yes. For a lot of people who come through Waikiki. And we've, you know, watched various dredging projects happen periodically. The Alawai. At this point, what do you see as being a feasible plan to be able to clean it up? You know, we so many people use it. I see kids getting in there and using it for practice when they're in canoes, and I see other mothers cringing at the thought of anybody being in that water. Uh, thanks, Bethan. One, the Alawai Canal is under state jurisdiction. Now, I'm not saying I would walk away from it as mayor. I am concerned. It, it is the major uh, drainage source for Waikiki. But here's here's what's interesting. I was really lucky to be asked by Nainoa Thompson as the mayor of the sitting county of Honolulu to go well, up to New York to see this, the Hokulea yeah. f- sail in. And it was a chicken skin moment, you know, seeing the Hokulea in New York Harbor with the Hawaiian flag flying in front of the United Nations. I mean, one of the Real high points for me as mayor and great pride, even though I'm not native Hawaiian. But I was with Nainoa on Governor's Island, which is an island off of the tip of Manhattan. And they had a school there where they were talking about restoring New York Harbor for oysters. And New York Harbor, extremely polluted. But these oysters cleaned the harbor because they filter out the, 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 the pollutants and that kind of thing. Nainoa, I was standing next to Nainoa and the president of the University of Hawaii. And they said, why couldn't we do this? at the Alawai Canal. And that's part of the movement that he's and been said, trying to absolutely. stir. And I said, absolutely. I'm on board. The city, to the extent we can help, but we're going to need to get the state's cooperation. Well, that, and the state question. has stepped Sh- up. Shouldn't there be that partnership happening that absolutely. we see it very visibly? Absolutely. Yeah, well, the state and the city and the federal government are under a massive contr- flood control. 
initiative right now. Remember the flood of 2004 that wiped out the University of Hawaii, caused $100 million in damage? It all ends up at the Alawai Canal. And so we are working with FEMA and we're working with the Army Corps of Engineers on how do we control this. Now, we, all those stakeholders you just mentioned, we should turn that in also to how do we restore the canal. And by the way, some of the things they're proposing, like building a wall on the Makai side of Alawai Canal, I'm not in support of. We need to keep this place as a beautiful water feature. It should be cleaned. And that's why uh, Kahi Pakaro has talked about, about having the this water, water wheel. wheel and yes. I've told him we're on board to try to help fund that to at least capture the things that are floating on the surface. Um, we're willing to work with the state. I mean, we don't have, if we had jurisdiction, I could say, okay, this is what we're going to do. But we're willing to partner with those who do have the jurisdiction and work with them to make this a better place. And by the way, Waikiki is the number one growth business generator in the state of Hawaii. Five million visitors go right there every Which year, and we need to make sure we have a big stake. and clean. Absolutely. We're, we're going to move on just a little bit in the interest of time, going now to Brett, who called us back. Hi, Brett. We're going to okay. try again. Um, checking. Can you hear me now? We can, can hear you now perfectly. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've been here 30 years. Didn't grow up here, but I had the lucky experience of living in, living in the Marin Tower Gap housing section, and uh, this seemed to work really well. Market rate on top, gap in the middle, and section eight in the bottom. And I know that I believe that during the other previous administration was converted over to private, uh, still operated, I guess, under certain terms that match that. What what do you feel about that kind of um, structure as the city acquires more buildings to alleviate homelessness? And thanks for the great job you've done with all the deferred maintenance that you acquired or inherited during your first administration. Hey, thank you, um, Brett. Really appreciate it. And Obviously, it helped you when you first got here to, you know, to get a start by living in the gap housing. And this administration does support that approach. Now, one thing that I wanted to correct in terms of fact is that the previous mayor worked really hard to try to get these housing units that are operated and managed by the city into a public-private partnership. We were going to sell elite long-term leasehold interest to the private sector because we believe they could manage them better and they would be spending the money to upgrade them instead of the city. That initiative was picked up by me when I came in as mayor, supported 100%. But unfortunately, as it moved forward, certain members of the council got involved in trying how, questioning the financing and how the money was going to be shared. It scared away the funders, the financing aspect of this, and the whole thing fell apart. Um, I think some memory, institutional memory is going to have to fade before we try it again. I would like to do that again, Brett. I think it's the right way to go. But we do need more of this type of housing, most of it being built by Mayor Jeremy Harris under his administration because he had a Department of Housing. And many of these projects were built when we had that department. Now, they had a scandal. Eva Villages and Ka'apea who went to prison. And the city, the people of the Oahu voted in a charter amendment to eliminate the Department of Housing. And since then, the city has not moved forward as quickly as Jeremy Harris did, Mayor Harris did. There is a charter amendment, an office of land management that we proposed that I believe helps us put us back into the housing business, helps us f- manage our lands better and our buildings that you just described in a more coordinated, cohesive way so we can build more of these types of projects you just described. Where you have integration of people yes. living together, yes. not living in, in silos or something. Yeah, no, I like that. Getters. Market, Gap, and Section 8 together. All right, we're going to take one more caller. We're going to go to 
Lisa calling us from Kailua. Aloha, Lisa. Thanks for your patience. And I'll ask you to be quick just because we're running out of time. Sure, sure. Um, I, I live in Kailua, and because of the rising property taxes, electric bill, water bill, and everything, we had to convert a portion of our house into using as a and b short-term rental. And this is the only way, at this point, we can stay in our house. It was never meant to be a long-term rental. It was specifically sectioned off as a short-term rental. We have parking for it, and we live in the house. And I'm wondering why city and county cannot support us in using a portion of our home as a and b Why is this illegal? So as you know, there's about 800 permitted uh, vacation rentals on the island of Oahu, and that was allowed by by city council statute way before I became mayor. And ever since, there's been this raging controversy, including in your town, uh, as to whether there should be more vacation rentals or fewer. Some people want to eliminate all 800, and others want to allow a lot more. Um, as mayor, I believe there is a there is a valid use of vacation rentals, but it needs to be regulated better. And we are enforcing more stringently those that are illegal because I believe we have to show the community we have a better handle on how to manage them before we talk about expanding them. Now, I'm open to expanding them, but they need everyone needs to pay their TAT, their GET, and they need to have a level playing field with their traditional types of, of, of um, units, you know, in Waikiki, their traditional hotel. The other thing, I don't know, Lisa, this is the thing, and you're dealing with the one side of it, is some people tell me when they turn their entire house to a vacation rental, it, it, it really impacts affordability because well, you can get a lot more money. Well, hers, yes, hers, I like what she's talking about. It's a bed and breakfast. But if it's a full home where you can make 20000 a month renting your home versus, you know, three or four or two, you impact affordability, the very thing we spent a lot of time talking about. So, Lisa... I'm open to trying to help you, but we need to get a better handle before moving forward. I, I'm sorry. I wish I had more time to talk about it. Well, maybe you might just get a phone call at your office. Okay. That, that yes. could happen. As usual, when we sit down to talk, the hour has evaporated. And I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule and everything that's going on right now to be able to sit down and create just a, a conduit to your constituents. And thank all of you who called in. Some of you I know we couldn't get through, but uh, we put through as many as we could and talked about as much as we could in the space of the hour. Thank you so much for joining us, Mayor. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I want to thank Public Radio for all you do, and I want to thank you, Beth Ann. I listened to your morning show after 8.30. Well, nice thank to you. know you joined us then. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mayor Kirk Caldwell. And thanks to all of you for joining us tonight for Town Square. We'll see you tomorrow morning for The Conversation starting at 8. You can join us at 8.30 if you want to. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich. Aloha.